Hey guys, it's Melissa here from MelissaOatman.com. Welcome to another episode of Awaken Your Inner Awesomeness. I am so delighted you're here with us today. We have a very special guest. Today we have with us Miss Nicole Kerr. She is a registered dietitian and has been in the wellness industry for over 20 years. But after a near-death experience and experience with this, she is now an author who has written the book, You Are Deathless. And she is an uh, expert who is here to help eternally advocate. So in other words, she's helping other people not fear death, which I think is awesome and such a needed thing. And I cannot wait to talk to her today and really understand where she's coming from and how she's learned as much as she has. So thank you so much for being here with us today, Nicole. Oh, Melissa, I've been looking forward to this and I'm delighted and excited and, and grateful to be on your show and talk to your audience about this really important topic because the death is the one thing none of us are going to get out of. We're all going to experience it. And I think most people, there is an unconscious fear about it because, you know, it's just got so many questions and having had a near death experience, I, along with thousands of other people who have had that are now trying to get a message out that there are lessons to be learned. We've all have the same common experiences and it's enough to put in a research article about the 10 common lessons and they're all positive. So I really want people to understand and to reframe our view of death from doom and gloom. Um, I think every book written has death cloaked in this veil of doom and gloom and this cloud of depression and negativity throughout it in our culture and our society. So, you know, like I said, my own experience along with hundreds of thousands of others and maybe even millions who just can't remember their experience, death is absolute beauty, light and loving kindness on the other soul. And I really want to help people change that view cultural misunderstanding so that in order to do that, we have to address the difficulty getting there, which are our fears. I love that you're doing this because um, I know in my own personal life, my mom passed away from cancer about a year ago and she was really afraid to die, really afraid to die. And I know a big part of it was just because she doesn't really, she didn't understand the process or understand what happens to us. You know, she never had studied anyone that had had a near-death experience. So I love that you're educating people about this to eliminate and release that fear. So why don't you tell us about your own experiences? So how did you come to understand that death is a beautiful thing and nothing to be afraid of? Well, um, I did it because I was a people pleaser. That's how it started out. Actually, I'm a recovering people pleaser, so I'm going to say that. But that I am can... too. I am too. <laughs> but I understand. <laughs> yeah, and these identities that we take on, I talk a lot in the book about them. How if we uh, overcompensate with them, they can actually cause us physical illness and all kinds of problems. So um, I am the second out of four kids. My dad grew up, uh, he was in the Marine Corps. He went to the US Air Force Academy and he wanted one of his four kids to, of course, go to his alma mater. So I signed up because I always wanted to be daddy's girl, favorite girl. And I had two brothers, but they went in a different direction. They went to military school during their junior high and high school years and then crossed over to uh, um, regular colleges. And I, decided the academy started letting women in in 76. So the first class graduated in 1980 and mine was 86. So you can see I was in that first grouping of women that headed to the, the academies. And I knew the day I got there, this wasn't for my soul, but it really showed up three weeks later when we got a, we got to call home and I heard my mother's voice on the other end of the phone. And I cried, Melissa, for three minutes. I hyperventilated and cried. I could not say one word. I didn't even get high out. And then that was click the end of the call. My commander told me to go get myself together. This, that, that's exactly what you need to don't say to someone who's having a, a panic attack is go get yourself together. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I'm sitting over there and I didn't realize it was a panic attack, you know, but I knew what I wanted to hear from my mother and my father was, Nicole, it's okay to quit. It's okay to come home. If this isn't for you, if this isn't what you thought, if this isn't where you want to be, you have our blessing to come home. But I did not receive that. And I never would receive it from my father or my mother since she aligns her belief systems with my father. So uh, I was in a, a situation where I couldn't leave. I felt I had to just keep going. Uh, I was scared of failing out. I was scared. I, I was terrorized the entire time I was there, uh, not being able to perform up to standards. And it just was not for me or my soul. None of us, our souls are designed to kill, but I understand why we have a military and to protect and defend. But everybody, every soul, that encounters war comes back, in my opinion, with a piece of their soul fragmented, because what you see and have to do over there is unconscionable. So I was doing it for the wrong reasons. And when you do things in your life for the wrong reasons, it comes back and kicks you in the ass to be blunt about it. So I, I stayed, I, I toughed it out. I don't know how I made it by the grace of God. Um, and then into my second year is when my near death acts death my near death accident happened and i was getting a ride back with a senior and i know the audience um, listening can't see this but you can kind of see it that's a 1965 corvette convertible um that was the car that i was in i was a passenger and i was getting a ride back to the air force academy with a senior cadet um after a squadron function that was off site and the Air Force had supplied liquor to the event. And then he wanted to go. Uh, I asked him for a ride back. And he said, sure. I hardly knew this guy. He wanted to stop and get a couple more beers, have a cigarette. Then he wanted to go and, you know, make out, you know. And I was just like, you know, I had, I came from a very, uh, like, I want to say protected family. I never dated. Uh, my dad had his own rules, his own Ten Commandments. Uh, I lived in the South, Jackson, Mississippi, part of the Bible Belt. So you grow up uh, going to church. And when you have parents that are different denominations, you go to church a lot. So um, Baptist and Lutheran. And let me tell you, one church says it's this way. The other church says it's that way. I think even God would get confused if he had to listen to all the different ways the different denominations say this is the way to get to me yeah. um so very very much brought up in a fear-based um household where our father was literally a version of god you know you just superimpose that onto your heavenly father and that i you know it's interesting um because i never remembered i just remembered stopping at the Rocky, you know, at this overpass and he uh, wanted to make out. And I said, no, we got to get back to the squadron or we're going to be late and we're going to get in trouble. And I just didn't want to get in trouble this year because I'd have been in trouble the first year. And I just, I'm like, no, no demerits, tours or confinements this year. And so um, he was a senior. He said not to worry about it. Um, started back on the road and never made it back. And so I made it back to the uh, ICU unit in Penrose Community Hospital, uh, woke up the next day and was like, what happened? And I found out what happened was through the police records, the district attorney records. Um, I interviewed, I went back 25 years later and interviewed my surgeon, head, head surgeon, um, my primary nurse and the EMT that saved me. So I was able to get their stories. They remembered them exactly. The EMT actually won the Phoenix Award for bringing a clinically dead person back to life with my case. And so it was truly, they, they said, they'll never forget me and I will not forget them. And I call them my angels, okay? Because there are lots of ways angels come into our lives. And this came through actually human beings being there to protect and save me. Uh, and they're all quirky in their own way, but it took that kind of quirkiness for me uh, to live. So um, what I now know is that I was pronounced dead at the scene of the accident. There were some uh, bystanders that lived in a house close by. They heard the crash, came out, couldn't get any vitals went inside and got a blanket and covered me up. 
it took between 10 and 13 minutes for the first responders to get there. And when John got there and, you know, took the blanket off of me, he tried to get some kind of vital out of me because he was struggling to do that. So he did this thing called the sternal knuckle press, which is designed to elicit pain. And boy, did it. Uh, my right eye flickered and my pupil dilated. And what do we know, Melissa, about that saying about our eyes or what? A window to the soul. Yep. At that moment, my soul flew back in through my right eye. It had left me when I was going through the windshield and up into the air. And I knew at a certain point when I looked down, I was going to be dead. Okay. So that's when it flew out. And then it came back in when he was working on me. So that to me is just like unbelievable, you know, because it took me, I knew there was something to do with the eye and the soul, but it was like, then he was able to get a blood pressure on me of 60 over zero. Well, that's still pretty much dead. They did CPR the whole way to the hospital. And that whole night, it was just trying to get me stable. And then I spent four months in the hospital, seven weeks in ICU, uh, and then another eight months in rehab. Uh, I had really, um, had a lot of damage to my body. Uh, I amputated my left foot. They had to graft that back together. I severed my right wrist, broke my pelvis, um, really bad road burn on my face from skidding on the pavement. Uh, just uh, had to undergo six major operations. And one of them was a code, actually two of them were code blues. So I really didn't want to come back. I was trying to go back to that realm that I had experienced that was so beautiful and pain-free. And so I have a angel with me. Um, he is my ironically military angel, but his name is James. And he has been with me since the accident, um, working hard to make sure that I would stay around to make sure I got this message and then was able to get it out to people. So he worked and his team worked really hard to keep me alive because I had several times where the doctors were like, it's out of our hands. We don't think she's going to make it or she didn't make it. And then two minutes later, they come running back and telling my parents, she's her heart just started going again. We didn't do anything. So, you know, it's one of those where, you know, you're here for a reason, but my memory did not come back till 19 years later. All I remembered were bright white lights. And I asked my surgeon, could those have been the operating room lights? She said, no, no way. You're unconscious. And so I know now that that is what Raymond Moody in his, he's the man who coined the term near-death experiences. That is the number one, I would say, common element all NDEs have is bright white light. And it's a clear light. It's not a blinding light like uh, deer in the headlights or something like that. So uh, I did remember that, but that was it. And then I, you know, I woke up back in the hospital in my body. But when I was 19 years later, if you fast forward it in my late 30s, I was working at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And I went to Starbucks just like I do every day and got my coffee and then I went to work. But this time, as soon as I pulled out of the parking lot, I remembered exactly how I was sitting in the Corvette, exactly in the passenger seat. And I could never understand how I was sitting to cut my foot off. I cut up all the insides of my legs at fourth degree laceration uh, between my uh, anal and sphincter muscles. So I had to have all that rerouted through a plostomy, um, just messed up bad, let me just tell you. And um, I will say uh, it just came like out of the blue. And I can't credit it to Starbucks, sorry. Uh, people's memories could come back because you have a Starbucks, they would be popping like this. But um, my body was ready to let the trauma go and the, for the memory to come up. So I went straight to my chiropractor who is a body healer and sat in his office all day until he could see me. And he said, Nicole, what this is, is it's repressed memories from your car crash. Your body now feels safe enough for them to come up. And what I remembered was actually how I was in the car. I write about it in detail in the book. So I'm not going to go into it here, but it was, I basically went 
my foot was, uh, one foot was on the dashboard and the other one was crossed over like a triangle. So I went butt up through the windshield, which is not a good idea to sit in any kind of car with your legs up or out, just sit with them on the floorboard. <laughs> so it's needless to say, I went airborne in that. And I actually remember freezing at a certain point uh, in time. And then he told me, okay, go home, go, go to bed and the rest of the memory will come. And it did. And while I was frozen in that position up there, I knew when I hit the ground, I was going to die. I just knew it. And I did. And it didn't matter how much I screamed out to God or whatever. It was like that. I knew that was going to happen. So in the book, I talk about a Casper the ghost kind of figure that was a male that was, you know, uh, a younger male, say in his early 30s, that came and when I was frozen, he just lifted me up and we went in an upward direction to uh, a next level uh, or, or it's not a place we went. We just went to a, a different level. And I could still see when I looked down, I was not in human form. My body was in a ditch and it was a corpse. It was lifeless. And I could hear other spirits and angels. They weren't speaking English. I don't know what we were all speaking or for me to hear it, but it's some kind of telepathy. And you're able to understand it because what I came back with was the angels were saying to each other, they need to ask us for help. If we down here on earth need their help, they're not going to just zoom in and, and help us unless it's an emergency, a life and death situation like mine was. And this past August, just after the book was released, my grandfather came to me in meditation on my father's side. He died at 58. And here I am, 58. And he tells me that he was the angel that came and lifted me up and out of that. Wow. And I was just, I got chicken skin because all this time I had the, the pieces right. He was male. He was like in his 30s. Uh, I, I could sense all of that. I just couldn't get it was him. And then that piece came and he said uh, he wanted to wait until it was because he died in August of, of uh, you know, when he was 58. So it's like the timing on that was unbelievable. So now I know who it was. It was a family member that did this. And, you know, it didn't matter his whole past or any of that, that he was an alcoholic or whatever, that that just doesn't even come up there. It's like, it's all removed. And I felt so uh, blissful. I felt so safe. I felt, I mean, you can't even get the proper words for the feeling of uh, just, uh, I don't know, like floating like an astronaut, you know, embraced in this cocoon of, um, of love and light and beauty and uh, you know there's 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 uh, it just didn't fit with anything I've ever experienced um you know Melissa on, on the other side of death God was like all around me God was in me uh, I was God God was presence and fullness and oneness um, but most of all God was love pure non-judgmental love and, and in that state, you know, I, it was not that I had suddenly had been forgiven for my mistakes, it's that they no longer existed. Uh, nothing I had done on earth was being weighed and measured. It was simply the way my story had played out in one realm. And that is one of the common lessons from NDEs is we are not judged. And I know growing up, it was the exact opposite I, I got in terms of messaging that you would be judged for all of your deeds. And so somebody up there is keeping score, you know, on what you're doing and whether it's good or bad. And that's just not true. It's just a false uh, uh, belief system. And you know, I had been searching externally for that unconditional love uh, for God 
And what I realized it, God is internal. You and I and everyone are eternal sparks of God. God is within. We don't need anybody to go through to get to God because we are God. And I think that was another huge false belief system that the church implanted that you are external, you know, that God is external from you and that you have to find a way to get to God by doing good works or find Jesus or somebody. Each one has a different way to get to him. So um, that causes a lot of fear growing up if you have to, you know, abide by all these rules, not only the Ten Commandments, but the different rules each church or religion or theology puts forward. And if you mess up, it's like, I call it the vending machine concept of God. If you put the behavior in or the right money in, you theoretically should get the right result. If you put punch Coke, you should get Coke. But what if you punch Coke and you get Mountain Dew? What happens? Who screwed up? Not you. <laughs> <laughs> but you did because it's not the machine god didn't screw up right right but you but you didn't have anything to do with it but it had to be someone's fault you know but if you equate god as the vending machine he can't screw up so then it, you somehow did something to make mountain dew come out or if nothing comes out then it's on you you know it's always on you that you messed up somehow even if it's irrational so the other message that they gave me on the other side was, first of all, ask the angels for help. Even stuff as small as a parking space. I know people laugh about that, but it's true. They do provide parking spaces and you have to trust. You have to be open-minded. And we all have been given a guardian angel, at least one. And we need to start developing a relationship with that guardian angel and not keep waiting and waiting. This is about awakening to who you really are and connecting with the spiritual dimension because we're more spirit than we are human in the final analysis. The other message, yeah, the other the other message was I was gonna go back and tell people not to be afraid of death. And on that one, I went, no, I don't, I don't wanna go back in that body because I knew going back in that body was gonna be pain and suffering and going back into uh, basically an infantile status. And my mother was gonna have to take care of me. Everything from learning to walk, to go to the bathroom. I mean, I had to learn it all over again. And that meant living with her and her taking care of me. And I, I just was like, you know, all my friends were in college at the time and having fraternity parties and sorority. And there I am struggling to survive or to, to walk, you know, or to, to, to rebuild myself. And the, the hard part was my parents do not believe in psychotherapy or mental health. Uh, and when the doctor told my mother that Nicole needs to see a psychiatrist, uh, she was very quick to tell him that God and Jesus are our psychiatrist and we do not need help. And she was wrong about that. And, you know, when people get that literal with God and Jesus and whoever they're believing in and what they're the concept they're believing in, you know, God or Jesus did not appear and sit down with me and do therapy with me, you know, and as a result, uh, a year later, I wound up with an eating disorder because I had no way of dealing with the pain that I was in. I did not even know what an eating disorder was. All I know is I shoved food, compulsive overeating into my face because I felt my self-esteem was like this high. You know, I went to a, a school that my sister went to, Southern Methodist University in Dallas. Dallas is very image conscious and, uh, I would say Dal, uh, SMU was too, you know, and very fraternity, sorority, all that really mattered. And it, I just felt like, you know, I couldn't compete with all these beauties um, the way I looked. And so I, you know, started binging and that stayed with me until I got married for 20 years. I got help with it, but it took a long, long time to let go of the food and the safety and the security that I thought the food would provide me. 
I know that's a, a lot of people struggle with letting go of the beliefs that we've held on to for so long, whether we got them from our church or from our parents or wherever. So I know that's a really difficult thing to have to learn to let go of. And I think one of the biggest lessons we all learn is to let go of the beliefs that don't serve us. But it, it sounds like even though you learned a lot when you had your near-death experience and you're remembering what you like, were learning from it, like to ask the angels for help in that, you still had a process you had to go through to to learn some of that. Oh, definitely. And the other part was emotions. You know, I think we're sorry, but I think we are a very illiterate country when it comes to emotions. Um, but I can't say it's like the four emotions most of us grow up with are bad, sad, mad and glad. You know, in the South, we were told, you know, don't hurt your mother. Don't get angry at grandpa. You know, don't speak your truth is basically the message, you know, and uh, emotional healing has got to happen in order for true well-being and healing and alignment to come into being. And we all, every single one of us, nobody gets out of this, have emotions that we have pushed or stuffed down during our lives. And then when we feel, we heal. And the whole, you know, the word heal has a, the word heal has a common origin uh, with the words whole and holy, pointing to the relationship between the body and the spirit. And if you look at, you know, uh, I had to do Bible drill uh, in uh, the Baptist church, but if you look at the King James version, uh, it's actually when Jesus said, thy faith has made thee whole. And then other translations said, thy faith has made you well. There's a big difference between being well and being whole, you know? And I think we get taught that healing, healing is linear. If I do A plus B, it's gonna, the outcome's gonna be C. Well, that rarely happens. And then when it doesn't, whose fault is it? Who's angry at themselves? We are. Because we should have made that happen because that's what other people say happens. You know, so I think there's a lot of these belief systems that are imprinted in us, like you said, from all kinds of uh, uh, societal, cultural, parental, uh, religious. And now is the time on planet Earth for us to start awakening out of our spiritual amnesia state and start remembering the being that we were born to be, who our soul, who our essence is. And I tell you, growing up, I never heard of my soul other than soul food, soul music, and uh, your your going your soul was going to hell if you were a bad person. Yeah. And I, you know, and I couldn't understand. Oh my God, this place down in the middle of the earth with the devil and we're all going to be on fire. I mean, do we eat barbecue every night? Uh, you know, as a child, it's literal. You think that oh, way, you know, and, yeah. and do we take, do we take showers? But the worst part is, is that you're separated from God and your family. And that's the part that most people absolutely scares the wee wee out of them is they're going to be separated. They're going to be down there alone or with other people that are bad you know and who judged your quote badness your parents yeah and if you had someone like my dad he was very strict I mean we were not even allowed to spend the night so in your own experience then when you had your near-death experience there really isn't a hell like what we've been taught or what many people believe as you were saying like the fire and damnation no, no that's a that's a false belief system god is love period there's no duality to god god is not loving and protective and um good on this side and on this side if you don't obey him, he's judgmental he's punitive and his wrath is going to come upon you that side of him has totally been made up by religion in order to control people by keeping them in fear. And God is not about fear. God does not want any of us to live in fear because fear is a very low, low vibration on the energy scale. 
And if you're in fear, you lose your clarity. In order for you to regain that clarity, you've got to address those fears. You think about if you make a decision out of fear from that amygdala, fight, fight, or freeze. It's not rational. It's You need to get up here in your prefrontal cortex where your executive decision is, is executive decision making is uh, happening to be able to do that. But as long as you're stuck in fear, it can't compete with this. This this amygdala just hijacks it right back there. And you're back at 20 or six or whatever when your boyfriend told you your butt was too big and that's all you can think about. You know, you never let yourself clear that and free yourself. So it's stuck in there. Um, and you've got to, you've got to tackle these limiting belief systems. And that's a hard thing to do because it makes you have to work on yourself and face some fears and some patterns and some uh, your actions. Uh, you have to take personal responsibility for your spirituality. And a lot of people don't want to do that. They'd rather put it off on God. Yeah, that's so true. And I think a lot of people, we just don't do the healing work because I think we're afraid of looking at ourselves. And, you know, I know personally growing up in church, I was always taught God is a vengeful God. And that never made sense to me because I thought, okay, as a parent, there's nothing my children could ever do to me that I would ever turn my back on my child and say, you're not my child and I cast you away or whatever. So that never made sense to me. But I think that that fear of looking at ourselves and taking responsibility for things in our lives and working on our own healing is what keeps a lot of people stuck. Yes. And there's another part to healing that many people don't know about, but that's soul loss. Are you familiar with that term? I'm not. Okay. So we all have a soul. And when you go through trauma, and I am believing that everybody in America, even now with COVID, has gone through at least some level of trauma. But I know that when my car crash happened, among other things, parts of my soul left me. And this is known as soul loss. And there's three major symptoms of soul loss. And the first is I didn't want to be here. And you actually hear a lot of people say that I don't, I don't want to be here on earth. I don't feel like I belong. I don't feel like, you know, so I didn't want to be here. And I knew this when I was on the other side, I didn't want to come back. So uh, I knew that I was going to live a life that had a lot of pain and how to manage that pain and suffering and I have spent my entire adult life doing that. I didn't get married till I was 40. I mean, that is how my life has turned out. Uh, the second thing is this low level, consistent feeling that something is missing. Depression, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting to note that many of the compulsive behaviors or addictions fall into this statement. And for me, I can now clearly see the link between my compulsive overeating and my feeling of emptiness. And lastly, I, you know, you just can't get over it. It just replays all the time. And this can manifest in chronic wasting or illnesses. Um, for me, it was anorexia, which, you know, I, I was until as recently as 2015. So that's why I'm saying this has been with me a while. Um, I just felt stuck with chronic health conditions and I was hyper vigilant about keeping myself safe. I wanted to drive a car anytime I went out with anybody. If I had a date, I had to be back by 10. You know, I kept myself in a control box so I could uh, basically reduce all risk that that could ever happen to me again. Um, and I wish I knew earlier, I really do, that although this was unavoidable or necessary at the time of my trauma, that neglecting those hurt, fragmented parts of me, such as the depression, that those wounded parts, they needed to come back in me and be whole. And so retrieval is a powerful healing tool that works. And that's what we're dealing here with is the spiritual and hidden realm. And I'm here to tell you that's a very real thing. 
So shamanic work comes into this uh, and other forms of that type of healing. Uh, and for me, I talk about it in the book where when you die, your energy body splits open and your soul leaves. And you can tell, Melissa, when you go to a funeral and you see a dead body, that body does not, I don't care how great the cosmetologist is, that body does not look like the person you knew. Yeah. It just doesn't. I don't care how they try to do her hair or whatever. And it's because her life force or his life force energy is missing. That's what animated them. That's what brought them to life. And when that piece goes, you really are just a corpse, you know, and I really want people to understand that the first of the, the lessons is we don't die. You know, our physical body does die. It decays, but our soul lives on. It is free and it goes back to where it came from. And we have many soul incarnations. Now that may be a new one for a lot of your listeners, but this isn't our first rodeo here. We come here so that our soul can evolve and there are lessons that we sign up to learn. And uh, some of them uh, are harder than others. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, I signed up for all the AP courses. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think us uh, sensitive empath empathic type people. Uh, yeah, there's, there's just something with us that we just, it seems harder. Our journeys just seem a lot harder than others, but we are also extremely loving, compassionate, caring, sympathetic, empathetic. Um, and we have to watch our own boundaries with that, or otherwise we can get sucked, sucked out. So yeah. Well, I love this conversation so far. Tell us more about your book because you wrote a book about your experience called You Are Deathless. Yeah. And, about that. Okay. It took me 13 years to write it. So for those of you who are writing out there and you're going, oh, I've been at this for two years. No, I think I filled up the, the cloud up there with all the writing points, writing prompts, you know, that you have to do. I, I went to writing workshops. I hired a writing coach because I used to work at the CDC and I wrote scientific papers, which let me tell you is a whole different way of writing than the book I wrote, which is basically from my heart. I am honest in it. I tell people what I believe and I'm out there, you know, really stating that God is love the most, you know, love is really all that matters. And it's the source of all that exists. So if we think of the source of all that exists in the world, then that is God and God is love. And when we think of love to not only think of it as an emotion, but think of it as an energy, because we are all energetic, energetic beings. And that connects to the third uh, lesson, which is everything and everyone is connected. And I hope we can get this uh, in our generation that we are all connected, that this divisiveness that's going on, the fear that's keeping people hating one another, the division, all of that, that is not the truth of who our souls are. And when fear jumps into it, man, it causes people to, to polarize. And that's why we have to really look at fears and eliminate them because they're not true and they're holding us back. And it's not good for us or you or the, the world, you know. Um, but I wrote this book and it helped me heal. It really did to write it. Um, it was hard. I'm now putting it out on audio. I just finished it. Uh, it should be out in the spring. But even just reading it out loud, that still was hard for me and triggered me on a couple of things, you know, because here I am hearing my own voice, telling my own story and going, shit, that was really heavy duty, you know? Uh, and I wrote it to help you and others like you with your fears about death. There's actually a fear checklist in there. There's a fantastic book discussion. I think this would be an amazing opportunity for your book group to get together. And you want to talk about real and authentic and sacred is to start asking these kind of questions amongst each other. That will get you to uh, 
an authenticity with the people that you are hanging out with. And I will try to zoom in and be a part of it if I can make it work with my uh, schedule. So I, I put that opportunity out as well. Um, also to support you and others through the loss of your loved ones, because we are human as well as spiritual. And I don't want to dismiss that, um, you know, there is suffering, there's grief, there's pain, there's loss, and we have to carefully and, and compassionately hold and heal that. And at the same time, look at the cosmic context text in a benevolent and extraordinary way so that we can live a happier life. We prepare for our own graceful passing and support others as they approach their own transition. And then the last reason I wrote it was that I hoped it would inspire you and others to live fully and freely with your, your heart and your hands wide open because if you're afraid of death, you're not going to truly live. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you have written this and are helping people because I know from my own experience, it is a very real thing that people fear death. And you're right. A lot of people don't fully live because they fear death or they're constantly living in regret and shame and guilt because they've been brought up in systems where we're felt to think that God is a judgmental, vindictive, vengeance, yeah. you know, God, which really is not the case at all. So I love that if more people could get this message out there that God isn't judgmental and so we shouldn't be either. In fact, if that is, that's actually one of the lessons is we are not judged. And I think the if we could just quit judging our own selves, judging our emotions, judging our thoughts, judging our actions, you know, I should have done this, I should have, those are every time you should yourself, you shame yourself. Shame is a low, 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 low vibration. And you've been through enough shame in your life. You don't need to put any more on you. You need to get rid of this one shame that's already been, you know, layered on to you. So um, if we could just, listen, every time we try to start shaming or judging ourselves, and just go, nope, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm not judging. That's who I am. I am love. I am light. I am peace. I am all these things. And, you know, there are no mistakes here. There, there are not. They're all learning opportunities. And as we need them in order to evolve, we did not come here to be perfect. That is not the reason. And People pleasing and perfectionism a lot of times go hand in hand. And that's what can go down the path of eating disorders and things like that is thinking that you have to reach this ideal standard that doesn't exist. And the ideal standards that these churches put forth uh, is a catch 22 because you will never, you know, get to God because thinking about something is a sin in a lot of them, you know, and it's just like, how am I going to control my thoughts on that? You know, it just, it doesn't make sense, you know? So I think death brings the joy of being free of the mistaken identities that we've carried around all our lives, but we can have that freedom here. And now when we can identify like the people pleasing and realize it's not serving me anymore. And this is time to heal yourself and not worry about others. You know, it's really getting your cup half full up or all the way full up because it's easy to get it drained um, with what's going on in society right now. And I just want people to, awareness is the key. You have to become uh, conscious. And we have so many people in our society running around unconscious. They're on these loops that, well, my mother did it this way and her mother did it that way. And her mother did it that way. Well, it's time to let those generational imprints go because they are no longer working and they're starting to fall apart. And you can start to see that in government and systems and things like that. And things are changing and they need to change because there's not the equality and respect uh, between humans, between all uh, all, all beings, um, you know, doggies and animals and nature and Mother Earth. 
and the, you know, how we're treating mother earth. And so we're starting to see the truth come out just like in this train explosion, you know, in Ohio, that that is going to cause people their chronic health conditions. That stuff that blew up, those chemicals are toxic and they have already you know, have caused people real problems, serious health problems. And, you know, you can't have a company just get away with it and just say, uh, uh, didn't know that or whatever, or, you know, let's do another burn on it, you know, and not care about the people and not test it or any of that kind of stuff. You know, that's just wrong. And I think those things are being brought out in the light and we have to start doing our part. And when you take responsibility for your own alignment, your own transition, your own spirituality. What is your concept of God? Try to define that for yourself. And I will start you off by saying it's not a white man in the sky with a beard that is sitting at a pearly gate and has St. Peter on one side uh, waiting for you to come in the gate. That is not correct <laughs> but that's where I'm at all. <laughs> no there's nothing about that because God isn't personal that's that's the whole thing I love that and I am so thankful that you shared your story with us today and imparted your wisdom because I think so helpful so beneficial and I think so many people are going to hear this and a lot of their fears I think are going to dissipate from hearing you just talk about your own experience, which is so important and so needed. If there's anyone out there listening who would love to get their hands on your book or follow you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, my book is on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. It's at, you can order it through independent bookstores. And uh, I have it in, uh, the paperback is only $9.99 in the US. So what is that? Uh, a funnel cake at the fair. They the fair came here to New Bern. It was ten dollars. I went ten dollars for a funnel cake, uh, and so I mean it's cheaper than that. My book is, and I uh, I would appreciate it if you would write a review. Reviews are really important, especially to first time authors. You know, it gets. Uh, it helps it get traction. But anyway, uh, that's where you can get it. Uh, you can go to my website www.nicolekerr with a K. K-E-R-R.com. And I have podcasts posted. I'm going to post yours there. I have blogs on there. Uh, you can get a free sample copy of the first chapter. I do have pictures that go in it, pictures of the crash, pictures of uh, the paramedic and all those people that I met, you know, 25 years later that were involved in my crash, my angels. Uh, I have, um, I'm on Facebook, Nicole A. Kerr. I'm on Instagram, Nicole.Angelique.Kerr and LinkedIn. Those are the only platforms I can handle <laughs> as a self-marketer here. Well, awesome. Well, we will have a link to your website in the show notes too. So people can go directly there if they want to get a copy of her book. And I highly encourage them to, because it sounds like not only do you tell your story and impart all of the wisdom that you've learned about dying and crossing over, but you're also giving people tools to help them in their own lives to heal and to learn and to grow. And that is what this is all about. Oh my gosh, that is exactly what this is all about. It's why I do this podcast. It's why I help people. And I love so much when I meet other people who are helping the world, who are putting yeah, this out there. I just love that. And you have to heal these trauma wounds. You really do. Otherwise, your, your brain is wired to keep going back. And so if your parents especially didn't heal their own trauma wounds, they don't have sympathy and compassion and empathy for you because they were just told to get over it and get on with it. But you have got to do it differently. You've got to get help with your healing and your trauma wounds so that you don't pass them on to your kids and that you can still live the life that you were born and meant to be. Yeah, absolutely. Breaking generational trauma and rewriting our DNA, really. Yeah. Helping to raise the vibration of this collective planet, which I think is so important. And, and you're doing that just in healing yourself. Absolutely. Because people see it and they go, 
wow, how, how are you so bright and light and this and that? And especially when you look at your background, but yeah. And actually in the book, it goes into so much greater detail and so much wisdom. I talk about trauma. I try to condense it into a, a, a way that you can understand it. I talk about some different tools available, like the soul loss, you know, that's an important piece for people that have had trauma that are stuck, you know, and they can't understand. I've tried this and tried that. And the soul work I did was in 2019. So it was after my memory came back and it has helped me traumatically. I love that. Well, I sometimes do something on this show and I wonder if you will indulge me in this, but uh, sometimes I pull a card just to give a general message for the collective for the week uh, from my Oracle deck. And I just got a message. My guides are like, you need to pull a card. So if you don't mind, I would love to pull a card for everyone. And I am going to use my Magic of Unicorns deck by Diana Cooper just to give us all uh, a much needed message for the upcoming week, because uh, the energies have been very heavy lately. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Oh, yes, yes. (laughs) So I love this. So the cards that came out, the first one is Cosmic Diamond, spread hope and joy, illuminate the world, which I love. And I feel like you're here doing that right now, just with your very present. Oh, thank you. And you can't make this stuff up. The next card is Soul Healing, align (laughs) with your essence, see your true colors. I love that. And that's exactly what you've been talking about today. So this is your message from the universe telling you, It's time for you to spread hope and joy. It's time for you to be the light in the world and to start doing that soul healing so that you align with who you truly are, not who you think you were supposed to be, because that is where we find our true happiness is when we are able to be our authentic and true selves. Yeah, and I'll tell you one exercise you can do. Uh, It comes from Lee Harris, but as you journal every morning, ask your soul, what is it you want to tell me today? I love that. I love that. I've never heard of that, but I absolutely love that. What a great way to have a conversation with yourself and begin to really connect to your higher self. And, you know, we always know what we truly want. It's, It's asking and listening for what comes when we do that. Well, thank you so much, Nicole, for being here today. You're such an awesome person. And- oh, thank you. So are you. You I are just beaming. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. And I want to thank all of you for being here with us today as well. Please go to her website and check out her book and just give her a follow. And if you buy the book and you love it, please give it a review because I know that those reviews definitely do help. They help the podcast. So if you could give my podcast a review, I would really appreciate that. But the best compliment you can pay me is to share the podcast with those you think might also benefit from it. I wanna thank you for being here with us today. Join us on Patreon. If you join us as a patron, you can see this interview and you can actually see the photo of the crash that Nicole was in. And you can see her beautiful smile and face. And also you can join with a free trial. So you can join for seven days, absolutely free. You don't have to uh, commit to anything. If you're done after that, then I thank you for being there for the trial. We also do live card readings on Patreon. So join us there. I hope that you guys are all having a beautiful day from wherever you're listening. As always, I'm sending you so much love and light and sending you so many thanks and love and light for being here today, Nicole, as well. Thank you. And I will talk to you guys soon.